0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host for the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and for SEM Rush Appreciation Month, which is what we're dubbing this month, just simply because uh, all four weeks are actually going to be with a different person from SEM Rush. Um, just specifically, A, I love their company, I love what they do, and B, it's just a huge opportunity to actually really see uh, see how the mind operates at such a high level. for. A company that's been killing it for so many years. You know, you guys know I'm a huge fan. Anyway, so let's just jump right in. Today's guest is the one and only Eugene Levin. Um, he's one of the first investors to spot SEM Rush. He joined the company as a chief strategy officer and has since then raised over $40 million in tier one investors. Uh, prior to SEM Rush, the man was a partner in Target Gold. Um, we sorry, Target Global, not Gold. I misread that. Target Global, a pan European venture fund that invests in consumer internet space. Um, and ever since then, this dude's just like held jobs in uh, like notable positions in different places. Um, you've, in, holy crap, he's actually invested in places like Lyft and Juno. Essentially, you guys are going to get your mind blown away today. This guy's actually going to be killing it. I'm, of course, I'm going to be asking questions about um, software as a service, management practices. A little bit about advice on startups, fundraising, venture capital, and of course, a little bit more about SEM Rush because I love to see how companies grow. With that being said, let's bring the man on, Eugene. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Always, always happy to
0: chat. Man, I'm so glad you're here. I was again reading through your stuff and just getting a chat with you just prior. My brain's coming up with all these different questions I want to ask you right out the gate. But before we do that, uh, and before, of course, we jump right in. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors for this episode and that is of course SEMrush.com and if uh, we're also sponsored by AdelonMarcy.com where you guys can go see previous episodes, um, comment, share, see the new content they're putting up and you know just get in touch with me because I'm an open person. Okay so let's just dive into this so Eugene right away I want to say that how long have you actually been with SEMrush now?
1: So almost four years. Um, I think I think I joined uh, around March sixteen. Uh, so yeah, almost four years. But I knew I knew founders for probably six years so far. So and I used product pretty much since uh, I I wanna say two thousand eleven, but might be even earlier. So
0: yeah, because SEM Rush, I remember SEM Rush back in 2009 to, oh like nine to like two thousand nine to two thousand twelve was kind of the sweet spot when I started really looking at SEM Rush. It was so archaic back then, but it was such a good system.
1: Yeah, like we we made tons of progress since then in terms of uh, you know product roadmap. Mm-hmm. I think in you know we, we usually when we talk to people to just show the scale of changes uh, in two thousand. and pretty much all the way till 2012 SEM Rush had primarily two products in SEM competitive intelligence and that was it and now we have over 40 different products that cover pretty much all aspects of online visibility management from like search engine optimization and social media to uh, general competitive intelligence and content marketing so pretty much everything Uh, yeah but Back in the day, it was uh, kind of more of a SEM, competitive intelligence product, and that's how I started using it, um, first as a marketer and then uh, as, as an investor to do due diligence on some companies.
0: That is actually incredible. And it actually gave me a question that I really wanted to ask you, and that was something along the lines of when... SEM Rush, because I remember originally, it was just as you described it as its iterations that has changed throughout time. I'm curious, so does does the end user actually get all access to all 40 or so products for the simple price, or is it more or less they get to, um, they have to actually invest different amounts uh, monthly as upgrades to add the, uh, the other services on? Because I know that SEM Rush does a lot of things at once, but I'm not sure uh, how in-depth it lets you go.
1: So we, in, in general, we try to make product as affordable as possible. Um, so the idea is that, is that, you know, even free users should have an ability to try uh, pretty much all the products, at least to some level. Uh, maybe not to use them day by day, but, you know, to, to understand the value. Um, so we are big, uh, big advocates of a premium model. Um, and then, in terms of paid subscription, it's you know, there, there. There is difference between plans. It's mostly usage limits. Like if you need to use specific part more extensively, you pay more. Do we try to put as much as possible to entry level subscription? Um, yet again, there is differentiation in features. Like some features available only on higher plans, but that also would be features. For uh, usually, you know, bigger companies or uh, you know spe- features that solve specific needs, like uh, you can have API only on higher level of subscription, but also API usually used by someone who has let's say R and D resources. So for them, it's it's not that expensive. If, if you have engineer to work with API, then you know paying a little bit more to have API access is not that big of a problem. But in general, the philosophy is to make product as affordable as possible to address uh, as broad user base as possible. That's awesome.
0: See, that's something I really love about the company and how you guys do things. Um, and that's one of the reasons why uh, I was so happy when we actually got to do this. So one of the other questions that I really had when I was like thinking through what to uh, ask you on this, specifically after looking at your bio. Was essentially there's a lot of businesses out there, and there's a lot of people that have um, gone to startup. Let's be honest, the last twenty years or so, we've seen more startups than any other time. Like really, come out of you know several locations around the world, and thankfully, as time has passed, like we're seeing startups all across like in Africa, in Asia, and just globally. It, it's it's beautiful to see. My question to you is, what advice would you start giving to people specifically? on what they need to get set in order to actually make sure they have a successful startup that can get funded?
1: So, <laughs> interesting point, because um, you, you said, you know, to ultimately get funded, but I, I honestly I don't think that getting funding should be a sort of goal for any business. Uh, at least, you know, the way we saw Our business we wanted to bring value to people and then if in the process we we thought that we need more capital then we would treat capital as just a sore you know sort of uh, tool to grow faster and to do more things that we want to do but we never thought about raising capital as end goal and uh, I think that's kind of one of the issues with uh, with startups in places like Bay Area they they Think about fundraising as as ultimate su- success. Uh, you know, sometimes when you interview people, they come and say, okay, how much money you raised? From what investors? And they, they um, evaluate companies this way. And I think what really is important, how many people using your software do they get value? Um, and if they do and they're willing to pay, then, you know, Fundraising will be just a tool for you to further grow uh, the business. But in general, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, please go ahead if you want. To, uh, oh see.
0: God, no! I was actually just going to say, please continue down this path. It's just <laughs> I, uh, okay. I, I personally didn't know that because I haven't personally. I've only worked with startups in the capacity of getting them pitched. Like that's what I get hired to write for at times. Uh, it's write their pitches. So I've never really seen, um anything outside of global level where they go beyond that, if that makes sense. I, I, I've seen more companies in the UK um, get funded for that simple reason of actually growth. Um, but again, my mind is so usually wrapped around the idea of what you see from the bay and, you know, our ultimate goal is to get funded, that kind of thing. So my question... Yeah, and- so mm-hmm. I just want to correct that. That was all. Please continue.
1: Yeah, so, so I think... The good thing is that investors in general look at things that make your business good in, a, in the long run. So, so getting funding is, in a way, confirmation of quality. But yet again, I would never think about this as, a you know, my goal is to raise money. No, the goal is to build really good business. Um, I also admire a lot of people who manage to build profitable businesses. ASM uh, Rush is a bootstrapped company. We we raised money very late, when um, when we were eight years old. Uh, all the time before that, we, we were profitable. We're pretty much profitable still. So it's um, I, I have a lot of respect to people who do that. At the same time, there is nothing wrong to raise money and grow faster, especially in the competitive areas where it's kind of winner takes all. In those markets, funding might be uh, might be critical. But you know, getting getting back to the basics, I think the advice that I can give would really depend on the st- stage of the startup. So if it's um, if it's a uh, you know C stage company, uh, the you know would be one advice. If it's a if it's a growth stage company, that would be different advice. So what what do you think would be more interesting for people to hear? Both, actually Both. okay so yeah I mean C stage um, super simple technically uh, you need a big idea um, that that is kind of in lines with with trends uh, it should be you know something unique in a way that it's not exactly the same that other people do and so the, the, there have to be some trick but it still shouldn't be too far where people just cannot understand what you're doing. Um, You know, if you have a strong team with a good background, that helps a lot. Otherwise, from my experience, a lot of seed rounds come from a very close circle of uh, people who you already work with or by reference. So I think seed, seed stage where you don't have product, pretty much a land of connections, which is not a good thing, but it is what it is. And then sometimes sometimes you can go through um, you know, incub- incubator programs like you know, YC or Techstars. Uh, there, are, there are decent programs in Europe as well. So, so those programs can you know, you know, help you to get more of those connections, help you to polish the speech. I think if it's, if it's your first company, you have no network, so to speak you know, going to those places might, might help. Um, thinking about them as places where they will actually teach you to do business, not, not that much, but, you know, from networking perspective, that might be quite good. So that's pretty much seed stage. Uh, you know, have strong team, have good idea, build network. That's what gets you there. Mm -hmm. Now, what I start kind of Suggesting people is not to go after big seed rounds and actually uh, try to raise or, you know, if you, if you have your other businesses, invest your own money to avoid early dilution um, and try to build MVP and get some customers. So that's put you, puts you on, on track for a good Series A. So Series A these days is um, pretty much what used to be Series B when I started investing. So, so, I think requirements to get Series A are uh, getting much more challenging. You need to have some sort of product market fit. Uh, you need to have early customers. Uh, there is a kind of crazy thing about magic number that some people say you need to have at Series A, but you know st- statistically, if you talk to investors who do Series A, a lot of them will say that what they're looking for is a company that has a you know, million revenue run rate, $1 million. Revenue run rate, which for me doesn't make a lot of sense because if you're doing enterprise software, a million dollars is not really proof of anything. It might be 10 customers. If you're doing um, if you're doing SMB software or consumer software, then million dollars might be way more than you need to have a proof of working model. But anyway, that seems like where consensus more or less is. I think. Yet again, you can make an argument that if you have consumer uh, business, that's, that's uh, more than required. And then you have enterprise business, it might be even um, less than required. But in general, once you get distraction, traction, um, you have real business. When you have real business, investors get interested. Um, my advice here would be uh, to focus on people who are knowledgeable. In your uh, market. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you're doing marketing technology, it's better to talk to people who, you know, invested a lot in marketing technology. If you're doing healthcare, better to focus on people who do healthcare. Uh, I think it's not uncommon when people do things that they haven't done before, but your chances will be higher if you focus on people who already know something, and there will be higher probability of you being already on their radars. So. So that will help.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, See, I love that idea. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I just love the idea of actually being okay. able to be, to be so specific because my brain is already like exploding with ideas like, hey, if I was actually going through this, um, how would I actually find these people? My brain immediately went to just send them a direct response letter to their office that they have to sign for that just highlights what you do already. Because as you just said, if you're already starting to work towards people in, say, marketing technology, they've invested before in this, of course, they're going to keep their eye out for you. So to get a letter from you is different to getting an email from you. And a letter weirdly opens more doors than emails these days.
1: Absolutely. And then, and then if, you know, all, all big firms, they monitor specific verticals. So you, if you are in something that is trendy, so something they should be looking at, and you have great traction, great consumer reviews. Um, I know a lot of companies in SaaS who are not that big in terms of revenue, maybe a couple millions in revenue, and they have decent traction on review platforms, for example. So, like, they might be uh, identified as leader in um, in G2, G2 Crowd Quadrant based on feedback from users. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Pretty much all big firms monitor review websites for newcomers. When they see kind of a new company that's highlighted as a leader, they will they will probably reach out if it's something that they're doing in terms of uh, their focus and, and, and vertical. So, so you can get attention even with a couple millions of revenue if you operate in a kind of high volume. Um, High volume segments where at a couple of million you have uh, thousands of customers.
0: Huh. It's really impactful. pretty cool. Um, But yeah, no, I, I really love how you've basically, talk, like, it's so powerful how, well, this has been an experience for me more than anything else because, like, what I'm actually looking at is my mind is being opened in different ways that I would actually approach. Um, this exact market, as I said, I've only worked with a handful of startups to get them to the pitching ground, and never beyond. Mm-hmm. But to see that there's different ways and avenues of getting in, that's powerful, especially with how they're, we can really direct their marketing towards the people in the industry that they want to invest in. Now, my question for you really isn't this idea of, uh, well, I really want to ask before anything else. Um, what was the SEM Rush success story? Because I've, I've heard about this before, but I've not really sat down and talked to you about it, because obviously this is our first time speaking, but could you actually tell us that story? Because um, I know my, I know people who listen to the show have wanted to know.
1: So, yeah, I mean, as I said, um, the, the way the way sometimes you see great businesses is that their stories are kind of boring. And I think I think in our case, there is no kind of single line that I can tell you and say, "Yeah, this is our secret sauce. This is why we got all this success," um, and, and you will, be, your, your mind will be, will be blown away. There is nothing like this. This instead of this, many many tiny things and years and years of work, and and this kind of overnight success that takes ten years to build. Um, and um, you know the reality is, as I said, we started uh, with uh, two products in in SEM competitive intelligence space uh, in a in a very competitive martech industry, mm-hmm. uh, outnumbered, outfunded, so so ultimate underdog. So I think what what helped us a lot to get through this kind of initial stage is. A, uh, kind of relentless focus on quality of product. So, so we, we you know, first four years, we didn't really invest in marketing, in anything, only in product and, and quality of data and insights that we can give to people. Yeah. Um, and those years were slow, but they kind of allowed us to build um, kind of good, good uh, core for future development. And a great customer uh, base as well. Yeah, and a great, but, you know, not, not huge, to be honest, not huge at that point. Yeah. Um, what helped us to, to build this um, kind of product of such a high quality better than anything that existed on the market was our exceptional engineering team. And that's, I think, kind of part of the secret sauce that um, a lot of companies miss. You see, if you build company in, uh, in the Bay Area, you're competing for talent with guys like um, you know, Facebook, Google, and um, chances are they will, they will offer better terms. They will be more attractive for average engineers. So you are ultimately, when you, when you need to hire engineer in the Bay Area, if you're a startup, not the hottest one, you'll be fighting for scraps. Um, and even there people will, will be asking, you, know, who are you investors? how much money you raise and so on. So it's a very uh, tough environment. On the other hand, there are, you know many, many places, you know in United States and globally, where you can have good engineers without this level of competition. And we, um, we were in unique place where uh, we had exceptional, engineers uh and we didn't have to compete with all those um you know googles of this world in that place we were kind of like google for for this market um and i see i see more and more success coming from uh founders in places you know like czech republic so avast would be a great example of such company um you know are the eastern european countries asia um just because there you can have top developers the way you cannot have them in the Bay Area um, or other more competitive places. So so I think that was one of the parts of the success. We had exceptionally good, we didn't have money, but we had exceptionally good engineering talent. Um, so I think the next thing was we were trying to find areas that are less competitive. So, so our, our key... Um, key competitors at that point they focused only in, you know, on the United States. United States by far the biggest uh, piece of software market. But that's not the only piece and you can make money in other places so we focused from the day one on global opportunity um, we had presence in Europe, uh, we had great traction in you know, countries like France, Spain uh, United Kingdom and so on. And, and I think that allows us, uh, allowed us to, A, diversify our user base, but also avoid some unnecessary competition early on when we didn't have resources to handle this competition. Um, the third big thing that I think contributed to early success was um, we, really, um, we really tried to, to give back to community and uh, we build our affiliate network that helped people to get money by helping to spread the word about S M Rush. Um, yet again, we, we still we still have this affiliate network. It's not, you know, that big and impactful anymore. Uh, actually, at this point, really tiny percentage of uh, of our revenue. But at the beginning, it was a great way to uh, to get traction. So what I would suggest to some companies, you know, it, it really helps to kind of reward people for spreading the word about your business. If you, if you can build this start, you know, any sort of model uh, that, that, that makes sense financially. So I think those are kind of three big things that helped us early on. And then, you know, once we started to have traction and users, we had more money to reinvest back in product. We started investing in new areas of uh, kind of online disability management, started expanding product into social media, content marketing, uh, expanded our competitive intelligence offering. So at some point, product became so big um, that um, kind of it started attracting users itself just because everyone was able to find something for their business in in the platform. And um, after that, it's it's kind of just a flywheel where you just need to continue uh, generating more demand and uh, also addressing this demand properly. So for example, uh, we started building sales teams because we needed uh, to properly work with bigger clients. Also, product got so big that without help, without demos, people could not find all the things they needed. So we started investing in customer success. But, you know, those steps are kind of easy when you already have a um, working product, kind of working, working, working uh, viral user acquisition based on, you know, your reputation and your brand and uh, quality of products that you that you provide so building sales teams and customer success is important it's it's a kind of secret knowledge in a way we have some of the best people in the industry working for us but it's uh it's kind of intuitive step step to make uh, but you still you still need to hire right people you still need to uh, make good kind of processes and properly integrate it into into the business but yeah, we had a lot of help from our, our chief revenue officer, Dal Humanik, who came to us from the biggest Yellow Pages company in the world. So so for him, you know, building a sales team was kind of easy. Some, something that he have done many times before at, at an even higher scale.
0: Wow. It's actually quite interesting like, listening through to all this because like, I know for a fact um, I'm going to come back and listen to this a second time and really just go through my notes with it because it's like so hard for me to concentrate on uh being the host because I actually want to take down so many notes of what you're saying it's crazy um but one of the que- oh, so something I did want to ask you as we're approaching this point in my show um what do you actually find helps you to relax because obviously you're always busy and I'm always curious how do you actually structure your day so you end up having a moment of relaxation
1: Yeah, that's, that's fun. I mean, um, I, I would say over, you know, during my life, I I tried many, many different things. Um, you know, including including things like smoking. So when I was, when I was much younger, I used to smoke, um, which I don't recommend to anyone. Uh, and I, I managed to kind of give up this, this bad habit. Uh, but at some point, you know, points of my life that this was the way I kind of handled stress. Um, you know, eventually um, I started doing more yoga, uh, started to, you know, do meditation. Um, this is how I handle it now. Uh, you know, I, I, th- I think it works now, but I, I don't know if it would work uh, back then. I think... I think amount of stress also depends kind of on a context, and I think for whatever reason, younger people have in general different reaction to stress. So when I was younger, I feel that I was more stressed about things that were not even important. So, so I think you know, at this point, meditation and and yoga. Um, I honestly don't know if those things. Would help uh, back back in the day. Uh, so another thing that helped me a lot is is family. Um, I married early, um, had a kid early. So uh, you know, I think having family and and having someone you can always talk to uh, also helps to relieve stress.
0: Definitely. I mean, that is something I actually truly believe in, and it's. So, would you say like the stuff that you went through in your past when you were younger, as a way to actually deal with all your stress and stuff, that had to go through in that way for you to get to where you are today, where you can actually appreciate the idea of meditation and relaxation
1: more? Um, it's uh, I don't know. I would say that the real the real switch of context was if back then the idea was that i need to um kind of do something completely different uh something completely unrelated like switch m- to, to kind of turn off part of the mind that is focused on the problem and do something completely different or you know do something that would um make this this noise and this stress in the head less loud yeah. um so escapism actually yeah technically yeah and then at this point of my life, I'm thinking that this stuff is not going anywhere. What's important is how I feel about it. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's that's kind of different where, you know, meditation doesn't necessarily, you know, switch the context. This thing is still there. It's still in the head. The, what, what changes is how you react on it.
0: Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you on that. It's something that is that something that's helped me. For me, the thing I do to relax is jujitsu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I def, I would,
1: I would definitely enjoy it. Um, it just, it just, I don't wa- I don't really like to be bitten that much. And and I know that if I just start, I'll, I'll be really bad at it, comparing to other people. Yeah. So- at least that was with boxing. So I tried boxing. I was so bad. I, it was just, just you know... <laughs> well, the thing is, because I, I have
0: uh, trained in Thai boxing for quite a long time in my life. I actually trained in Muay Thai for about 10 years. Um, <laughs> I, I got it. I, I got to tell you, no, I, I when I moved over to doing jiu-jitsu... The reason I did it, and I think this is a true fact of uh, when you come from one martial art and you go to jujitsu, jitsu this really tests your ego, in my opinion. I could be completely wrong. But the number of stories I know about this is quite interesting. Um, so the first time I did jujitsu, like, properly in a cl- like, before I went to a class, it was warming up with a guy that just held pads for me. Uh, for I was free, I was just doing flow, I was free sparring, um, just, you know, hitting the bags and stuff. And I asked him to hold pads for me. He's the only other guy in the gym. He was really nice enough to hold pads for me. Um, shout out to Daniel. He was pretty cool. He's a pretty cool dude. Um, we basically ended up uh, finishing up. And as I was leaving, he was like, hey, uh, do you mind just flow rolling with me? I just got to do a little bit of jujitsu jitsu and, you know, just move around. I was like, that's cool. So decided to roll with him for five minutes. In five minutes, I got tapped out like five or six times. Right. And immediately my brain but went that's, to... That's
1: not that bad. I think that's not that bad. Like almost minute per yeah, submission.
0: One, one a minute. One a minute. Is, it's still pretty bad. Um, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> so I ended up like going home that night. And I remember thinking, there's a beginner's jiu-jitsu class tonight. Screw it. I'm going to go. So I literally went to the gym, back to the gym that same night and did my first jiu-jitsu session. And since then, I've not really looked back. Because I wanted to get so good, not to beat Dan, but to be able to actually grapple and defend myself on the floor. Because I was, I'm like, even to this day, even though I've not done Thai boxing in a number of years and I've put on a little bit of weight, um, I'm still fairly confident in my striking. Like I know I can still move. I know I'm still elusive. I know I can hit you very hard. I know I can get the hell out of the way. But what I'm not confident in, or at least I wasn't back in the day, was if someone takes me to the ground, I'm fucked. So that was the yeah. whole reason I did it. But what I was saying was like, um, yeah, if, if you actually feel like, because uh, I've had this with a couple of friends where they feel like, I really want to do this, but I don't want to be the shittest one in the room. I don't want to be the worst person in the room. The best thing I'd say, go to a beginner's class, not like a mixed class, go to a specific beginner's class where everyone is equally a shit. <laughs> you know, like, you'll feel amazing. And I and I don't mean this in a horrible way, but I did a beginner's class on uh, a few days ago because I was coming off a couple of injuries, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna do a beginner's class because I can't be bothered to get up at six o'clock in the morning every day to go to the gym. Like, some days I want to sleep. I don't want to. I don't want to go to the gym six. I was like, you gotta get out of that habit. You gotta do one session jiu-jitsu and you'll be fine. So I decided to go in the evening. I usually don't go in the evenings, but I decided to go at this point. And we were just yep. doing mount escapes. I, I literally, like, huh? the thing is, like, my mount is really good. I'm a guy that plays off my back. So I'm a guard player. That is my home. Fight me off my back all day. I'll defend and I'll still get a submission. I'll fight you through, babe. I'll make it tough. It'll be a fun day for me. Whereas if I'm playing, like, a top position, like, mount or, you know, half guard, mm-hmm. I get really nervous. I get very nervous because I, I I'm com- I'm not confident there. Like, I'm capable, but I'm not confident. Mainly because everyone I train with is a higher belt than me, and is insanely good. Um, so we're there, and it's a bunch of white belts and me, the blue belt. I'm like one step, like one belt above them, but by about a couple of years' experience underneath me. And I just started dominating these white belts, and I, I'm sorry, say so it just felt so good. To just be like, nah, you ain't getting out of this thing. I got you. Ha- I got you pinned down. That right there will make you feel like you're the best in a class. But the good thing is nine out of 10 times you're not going to have someone with more experience in being, in a beginners class you'll have people who've been trained for 2 or 3 months but not so much that like they can destroy you like you'll be able you'll be surprised how quickly you'll be able to advance in jiu jitsu
1: yeah as as i said definitely something something I should do my plan was to wait till my kid gets to t- his teens and then go together because i would be not that old and he would be kind of already not that small so wait, he could how- also do how old is he? So he's five. So I was thinking when he's like Dude, 14, 15. No, no, take him now. Uh, I, I, another thing, you don't want them to do this thing in school. No, so, that, that's
0: the thing with jiu-jitsu. You won't, be, you won't do it at school because a good jujitsu school will actually literally tell you this is the only place you should do it.
1: Right. Um, but, you know, when kids, I, kid, you know, I, I still... Yeah, I still remember my my school, and when when we had someone who who was let's say there was no jiu jitsu back then, but there was karate boxing or karate
0: or boxing yeah, or
1: karate then. or, or karate. Yeah, the, so this this kids would just you know show off and and yeah, you, you would you would feel that they're dangerous, like and even even the, even if they hardly if ever hit anyone, but you know, <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess so. But like definitely, I'd say. Personally for me, and I'm only saying this because this is one of the things I was very, very grateful for, um, around 11, 12 is a good time. And the reason I I say that is that's when a boy's testosterone really starts to kick in most of the time. And you get that very, I don't know if you went through this, I I, I know a lot of people went through this. We get like weird pent up rage for no reason. Like, just for some reason, we can get ridiculously angry for no reason whatsoever. Right. It's like testosterone. It's like, mm-hmm. come on, man. Yep. Yep. Um, so that's the reason. But definitely, uh, I'd say grappling would be the thing I'd get him into just for the sole purpose. A, grappling is easier. You don't get beaten up as much. Uh, <laughs> well, you do and you yep. don't. Like, it, it just, yep. it's like a safe way of play fighting, essentially. Right. Or, you know, yep. wrestling. Um, but the other reason is because as your kid grows up, that's the one thing that I wish uh, I, I could switch was I wish I started doing jujitsu when I was 12, 13 and not Thai boxing. Um, not because I don't, you know, I wish I can, uh, you know, like, I wouldn't trade my ability fight on my feet for anything. But like what I'm saying is jujitsu, the grappling is so much more physical mental and way more intense it gives you such discipline it's like insane so um yeah that's that's what i'd suggest like i'm glad that you're thinking teens but like 11 12 is like the sweet spot jujitsu they will thank you because if they get their black belt by the time they're 22 they've essentially got um they've got a hobby that they can if they love jujitsu they can literally turn that into a profession for the rest of their life which is like one of the most incredible things to think
1: yeah, you know, you, you, sold, you sold me this idea. <laughs> yeah, it's like, just yeah. invest, man. It's what happens.
0: Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much it. But I was going to ask one, one of my favorite questions on the show really is asking how, uh, what people read and what people watch. So the same goes for you. So if you could actually list five books to recommend to people listening in right now that they should all read, what would they be? And what are five movies that you definitely recommend everyone watches?
1: Okay, so um, let's start with books. Also, to be very clear, I don't read books; I only listen to them these days. So that counts. That counts as reading. That right counts. Now. Yeah, I, I okay, love Audible. Yes. Like
0: I, 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 spend so much money with Audible; it's ridiculous.
1: I yeah, I just I just, I just buy their subscription and and uh, download whatever I want. Um, usually. Usually, I, I listen a lot on the plane or you know during commute, you know taxi, whatever. Same. Uh, that's so. So what? What I really liked recently. Um, so book called uh, "Hacking Darwin" mm-hmm. about genetic engineering by uh, Jamie Metzi. Uh, never heard about this author. Listen to the book; it kind of opened my eyes about current state of genetic engineering. For me, this area of science was still kind of in in middle ages, uh, and it appears to be they actually progressing uh, very uh, at unbelievable pace, there's Things that can be done there even today are mind blowing. I at least I you know working in IT, I haven't didn't realize that's that's happening. Um so another interesting book that I liked recently um, is uh, 21 lessons for the twenty-first century. Now this is very hipster type book. Um, but it's uh, it's surprisingly uh, rewarding. I think a lot of um, a lot of ideas, uh kind of the same ideas that um, that you could read in previous books of uh, Yuval. but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting books. I think book. I think if you if you haven't read his previous books and you want to read only one of them, that would be the book. Um, another book that I really liked uh, is Why We Sleep um, by Matthew Walker. So. Technically, the message of the book, you should sleep at least eight hours a day, and then it convincingly uh, explains why. And um, I would say this is one of the books that actually changed a lot of my habits. So now I try to sleep eight hours a day at least, while before reading this, my attitude to sleep was in general that, you know, the less I can sleep and still maintain consciousness, the better. That's Uh, me. So I would... I, I also, you know, my, my my network was you know a lot of a lot of people I talked to uh uh investment bankers and these people kind of just don't sleep in general. Like this. Um and they feel this is all right. And um I also lived kind of in the same mindset until I read this book. Um so how many books I have left? I think you've two left. Two left. Um let me let me find something interesting. Um, what was the
0: title of the book you just said right now, like the one about sleep? Um, it's called Why We Sleep. Why we sleep, dude. I I'm so terrible with the whole idea of like uh, of figuring out how much sleep I need because, like, honestly, for me, I can't. If I sleep above six hours, I get cranky. Like, I genuinely <laughs> have a bad day if I sleep more than six hours.
1: And light. I think, I think it's it's that you know I don't think there is like um, one number that fits all. I think it's individual. Uh, I think it also depends when you go to bed. So it might be you can sleep eight hours, but you uh, but you need to uh, get to bed earlier than you you get into bed now. So it's um, you know yet again very interesting book. It tells um, talks a lot about circadian rhythm and uh, and how it impacts. Uh, everything else um so what what else is in? i've read the book educated um it's a it's a memoir um i was surprised how much i liked it because i was kind of like everyone is reading this i should read it as well but i was very positively surprised i think i think i think i think the the biggest surprise for me was like yeah places like this and exist in United States and it's like okay that's you know that's strange because usually you think about like United States and Europe this is kind of place off very very high standards and education and everything and then you read the story of a person who didn't have didn't go to school because her parents didn't want her to go to school and that's kind of Gives you gives you some context over uh, about how even being in the in the right place and you know living in the right country, uh, you can still have issues. Um, what else? Um, else, just too many too many books. Let's say energy and civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet again, one of the one of the easy peaks because. Uh, that just opened my mind in a way that I've never thought about energy uh, you know this way um, kind of the, the the whole the whole idea is that um, you know the way people use energy evolve dramatically and help people to evolve and, and change the way societies interact not just on a technological level but even, even in terms of, uh, you know, the way, th- the way our society is structured, the way our countries and politics function. So all, all of this somehow have connection to energy in, in a way, and also the flow of energy. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's surprising that, you know, for example, energy content of food that we eat it takes, you know, much more energy to produce it, but then in some types of food, it takes much more energy to deliver it to us. So, so the energy that was, was spent on the item that you're eating was spent not necessarily in the growing process, but for some types of food, more in the logistics, delivery, or processing rather than initial investment in, in this item. So, you know, it just helps to understand the world better. I think that's, that's my list of books.
0: That's awesome. I actually love that. So what about your movies? Or do you not watch movies? Um, I do. I actually watch too much movies. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing. All right. So tell me what a five, okay, not even like all-time greats, but just five movies you'd be like, you need to watch these five movies.
1: Um, so, okay. I, I like comic book movies a lot. Nice. Uh, I'm super happy that they're finally getting what they deserve. Because, mm. like, oh, for a long time, they were shit. Yeah, they were they were really bad movies. Like,
0: Dude, <laughs> like everyone, it. everyone talks about Sam Raimi's Spider Man being amazing. I'm like,
1: no, it isn't. It's terrible. Yeah, those those things were terrible. But now they finally finally uh, get to the point where they're real movies. Yep. Tom so, owned. keeping it amazing. Tom Tom's doing a great job. Can I? Yeah. Spider Man.
0: Oh. Quick question, did you watch, I know I keep going on about Spider-Man right now, but did you watch uh, Spider-Man Into Into the Spider-Verse?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we did. went, you know, the whole family, yeah, really liked it. Best they, Spider-Man they movie. That's, the, the crazy thing, it's actually kind of Oscar caliber, mm-hmm. you know, uh, motion picture. So And
0: story, the story's incredible, and did you see all the little Easter eggs?
1: Uh, I, I think I got some of them, but I don't think I've ca- I've caught all.
0: There's one from Community because a lot of people don't know this, but Donald Glover, aka Childish Gambino, the musician, um, when he was on Community, they actually when they were redoing Spider Man with Andrew Garfield, um, someone goes, "Why doesn't Donald Glover play the new Spider Man?" And of course, he didn't play the new Spider Man, but Marvel liked the idea so much they actually created uh, Miles Morales. In honor of Donald Glover, and Donald, really? played, like, yeah, he also voiced him in. Um, he voiced him in the cartoon where Miles Morales was, was uh, shown the Spider Man. I think it's Ultimate Spider Man, and um, he also played Uncle Aaron, aka the Prowler, in Spider Man: Homecoming because he's uh, he's the one that gets. He's like, why does your voice sound funny? Like he's he's <laughs> a weapons buyer. Like he's making fun of Spider Man. And he goes, I've got a nephew in this neighborhood. That's basically Uncle Aaron from um, In Spider-Verse. So this all ties in because here's the crazy Easter egg. In the scene where you first meet Aaron and, um, you know, where he runs off to his uncle's apartment, the, if you watch the TV screen, it's the scene from Community where Donald Glover gets out of the bed wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt. So he ends up being Spider-Man. And it's a really long way of an Easter egg, but it is a fucking deep embedded Easter egg. And I was like, wow. I love these. I love these little things. They make me so happy.
1: Yeah, I need I need to to read the whole story, kind of.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't know about that. That's that's cool. It's, it's insanely good. All right, so we got comic book movies for sure. What else? What are the other ones? That
1: you yeah. Got? So so yeah, let's let's try to go through the list. So I think so. Do we exclude comic book movies? We still keep them. Oh no, they're, uh, they're
0: just a, they're one pick because there's so many good ones. You just put them okay. in one area.
1: Okay. Okay, cool. So then would be uh, definitely Pulp Fiction. Yep.
0: Um,
1: so uh, Schindler, uh, Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think for those two, I just don't really have to explain right there. Yeah, no, fast. you don't have to. Yeah. Brilliant. yeah, I like Interstellar. Good movie. Uh, surprisingly, yeah. I I expected it to be super boring. Like when I, when I kind of just, you know, watched trailers, saw how long this movie is, I thought this is going to be like, uh, like space odyssey. It's just going to be pointlessly long and boring. And and, it's, and they actually made a, I think very good movie. And, uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of sci-fi movies. There are very few really deep sci-fi movies. So, so if I had to, to pick, like, there was a um, movie uh, called Gravity and Interstellar. And I think, you know, between those two, I, I liked Interstellar, Interstellar more. But I think it's good to have uh, movies that are sci-fi, but they're not too far from, like, actual, you know, science in a way.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, um, I agree. It's, it's, it's enough uh, suspended belief, but also keeps you, like, fascinated.
1: Yeah, because I mean, real real life might be too boring for movie. When, when you watch all the like movies about what you know things that actually happen, like biopics uh, about uh, Neil Armstrong and uh, and uh, the moon landing. Now they're interesting movies, but they don't have kind of the level of excitement that that sci- sci-fi movie can can generate because. You know, unfortunately, life is a little bit boring for a good sci-fi movie. But, yeah. uh, but those sci-fi movies they can stay in the area where it's not crazy unrealistic, but you can do things that you cannot do in real life. So, really like that. So, um, so how many movies we have? Oh, uh, dude, that's five. Oh, that's already five. Yeah.
0: Pretty cool, unless you count Interstellar and um, the other one together, Gravity. But
1: no, we... no, oh no, I would not put Gravity in the in the list if I put Interstellar. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Okay,
0: no, so you got one left. You got one left.
1: Um, so let's let's do Back to the Future. Right. Uh, Just such so, a great such movie. It's, I I think I think looking back and rewatching it. It's actually not such a great movie oh no but if you watch if you watch it today
0: and that was your first exposure terrible movie but as you grew up with it it has <laughs>
1: nostalgia it's, it's like home alone right. yeah right i think yeah but but i think between home alone and this one i would rather go for uh, back to the future okay. at least they have delorean and but i i think in terms of movies that impacted a lot my life yeah that you know that was one of the very um impactful movies
0: Definitely, for me, one of the ones that a lot of people don't know, I love, and it's a really weird movie. It's uh, it stars Jean Claude Van Damme, and it's called The Kickboxer. Oh, I love it! Yeah, I love that movie. I literally used to watch that movie as a child, like it right, was right, like, like twenty like, times. Yeah, and then all of a sudden. That's the reason I don't believe that people when people go like watching violent movies makes violent people. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I, I'm not a violent. <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I technically could be, but I only train. I don't hit others. There's a difference. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't make violent yeah. people. But it was funny because like, I end up fighting professional. I end up fighting for a while as well, like uh, in the amateurs and you know professionally and stuff like that for a while um, during a couple of years of my time, which is quite fun. But anyway. What well, I was gonna say, because we're actually coming up to the top of the show, dude. This has been so much fun, and I hope to get you back on in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Would be happy uh, to do more stuff. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise, if you're ever in London, hit
0: me up, dude. It'll be fun to meet you. Meet you in person. Uh, I, absolutely. I go go to London a couple times a year usually. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Guys, we will see you next week on another episode. Where I'll be interviewing someone else from the lovely team at SEM Rush. Uh, tune in then. As always, please have a great weekend. Uh, or if you're listening to this on a Monday, have a gr- I hope you had a great weekend. Um, kick ass. Enjoy the time. And as always, please rate, subscribe, review, and share this if you love what we do. Take care, guys.